Hey family, this is Joshua Jones. My wife, Lindsay, and I have the honor of being the lead followers of Way Family Church right here in Edmond, Oklahoma. Thank you for taking a minute to tune in. We pray the message gives you a different perspective about Jesus, His gospel, and what living life in His kingdom is all about. Take notes, listen intently, and be blessed. All right, you guys ready for some gospel? Hey, what does gospel mean? Good news, right? The too good to be true good news, but yet it's still true. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. What early father was it that said the gospel stands? Said the gospel stands possibly not to be believed because it's too good to be true. Like, is that? Can it be that good? That can't. That can't. It can't be that good. But the gospel is that good, right? If what you believe about the gospel isn't too good to be true, then it's not what? It's not gospel, man. It's not gospel. So today, um, I want to talk about some things that uh, it'll be pretty basic. We'll probably be maybe not extremely quick, but a little bit won't be as long as normal. But I just got some simple things on my heart that I want to shoot out to you. Um, I don't really have any notes, but I do got some verses that I want to read to you. And we've been talking about identity now for almost a couple of months. And I want to talk about something I haven't talked about today, and that's identity in regards to family identity in regards to family and how what we do as a family structure really shapes the identity of our kids and thus our grandkids, ultimately the earth that way. Um, Proverbs 22 and 6, we're going to read that. Proverbs 22 and 6, man, I'm going to hit Ephesians 5, Ephesians 6. We're going to jump around for a little bit today. There's one camera that I didn't give you, man. It's going to be Deuteronomy Um Chapter 6. Thank you, Lord. Deuteronomy 6. I'm going to read 4 through 9. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. I think I might do that one first. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And then we'll jump at Proverbs 22 and 6. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. You guys ready? Here we go. You shall love... Let me reckon back up. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is what? One, right? He's three, but yet he's one, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your what? Heart. With all of your what? And with all of your what? Come on. And these words which I command you today shall be in your what? Heart. Now, you got to see Moses speaking this over millions of Israelites. You shall teach them how diligently, not casually, diligently to your what? Children. Everybody say family. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you what? In your where? Church. Before there was ever a synagogue to go to. There was a place we lived called homes where your faith was first from there, right? Before there was ever an ecclesia, there was a koinonia. Before there was a church, there was a family. Listen, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Let me listen to what he just said. You're going to talk to them, teach it diligent, diligently to your children, Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you get up. 
You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. These commands. You shall write them on the doorpost. Everybody say doorpost. Doorpost of what? Your house and on your gates. Now, Proverbs 22 and 6. We hit this last week. Going to hit it again. Train up a child in the way. Everybody say the way. Come on, say the way. He should go. And even when he is older, he will not depart from it. Um, let's do that Ephesians 6, 4. Well, I think 5, 19, and then we'll do 6, 4. I probably got 10 I want to add on to that. Let me just open up my Bible because... Honor came in my office. He's like, why is your Bible got marks in it? I'm like, why is yours don't, son? You can go mark up your own Bible. Leave my Bible alone. You do what you want with your Bible. I'm going to do what I want with my Bible in Jesus' name. Ephesians 5, 19. Paul says, address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart in a church service. <laughs> right? Let me read verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now Ephesians 6, 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Let me do... Uh, that second Timothy now. I know this is probably like, man, you don't read two whole chapters and then you're reading this Bible. You know, most people don't have a devotional life, so I try to make up for it when we get to church. That's all I'm trying to do. I've already heard people say, we, I left that church because they read too much and they worship too long. Isn't that funny? I'm like, no, your worship is too short. Listen to what Paul tells Timothy. The things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others. I want to stop there. Who will be able to teach others? Everybody say identity. Come on, one more time. Say identity. I was reading the last two days a book by Leonard Sweet. It's a great book. Every Most pastors that are, are senior pastors in the church in the last five years, have most of them have taught a sermon series from this book, and the book is called From Tablet to Table. It's a great book, From Tablet to Table. It's a book by Leonard Sweet. He says this on the opening page of the book. He says, when any species undergoes a reproduction crisis, a name is given to it. And that name is this, endangered. When any species undergoes a reproduction crisis, a name is given to it, and that name is endangered. Arguably, Christianity has entered such a crisis. What kind of crisis? A reproduction crisis. Now, we are reproducing church buildings but we are not making disciples, right? Jesus didn't say, go make Christians in the earth. He said, go make what? Disciples of all nations. Watch this. Our inability, he says, to reproduce the faith, 
the faith, that's what, that's what Jude called it, the faith, our inability, he says, to reproduce the faith is the number one problem facing families and churches today. Christianity in the West has become sterile and nothing more than an exhausting religion. He says this, Christianity in the West is suffering from an identity crisis. And instead, this is all, this is still intersweet. Instead of now finding our identity in Jesus, we've tried to build an alternative identity on a Christian worldview, on biblical values, or on Christian principles, as though these are the cure-all for our disease. So we've literally looked to the things of Christ to be the answer other than Christ himself. Is this true? Listen, the churches I grew up in, we talked about going to heaven all the time, and nobody never talked about enjoying the person of Jesus. We fell in love with things like this, streets of gold, gates of pearl, crystal clear sea. We were so enamored by the fact that we were going to have a house we didn't have to pay for. Like literally, that was what we thought heaven was. I won't have a mortgage payment. I know drug dealers that don't have mortgage payments. Is that, I mean, is that, is that, is that, look at what we've reduced our faith to. A mansion on a hillside. As if Jesus the carpenter right now is wearing a construction hat, building your mansion as we speak, that one day you're going to inherit. I want to tell you something for families when it comes to identity. I want to tell you something. I believe there is something that everybody in the room can do that will alter the course, not just of our nation, ultimately the planet. And watch this. It requires no money, but it does require intention and it will require time. Watch this. And it will require consistency. And that's how we live, honor, worship the one we call king. Watch this, outside of these buildings, the places on the planet today that are having the biggest move of, moves of God are places where these books are illegal. The problem in America isn't a Bible shortage. And it definitely, isn't, it definitely isn't church attendance. As pastors want to make you think that, our problem is not church attendance. We have a major identity crisis. As a matter of fact, the places on the planet right now that are experiencing the biggest moves of God are places where the Bible would be condemned or the Bible could cost you your life if they caught you with it. But the places on the planet that are having the least impact from a move of God are places on the Bible or places on the earth where the Bible is actually considered legal. Like America. It is quiet up in this Baptist church today. What is going on? 
And nobody wants to talk about it. It is an elephant in the church room that nobody wants to talk about because by gosh, man, we have a man of God and we have dynamic worship. And have you not been to our services? Jesus, if a service would really transform a nation, America would be leading the globe in it. Do you understand that now nations are sending missionaries to America? You understand that? Like, like nations are sending missionaries to America. You know what Leonard Sweet said in that book I was reading? Man, man, this hit my heart so, so heavy last night. He said this. He said, an untabled faith is an unstable faith. Meaning that a faith that doesn't leave a church building and make it back to our homes, our living rooms, our dinner tables. He said an untabled faith is an unstable faith. I am going to throw this Bible across the back of this room. Jesus Christ. I've told a few people this one when my wife and I left Northwest Oklahoma City where we were serving there and got ready to come here. The Holy Spirit in my heart in prayer said, I want you, Josh, to raise up a family that would be, watch this, persecution proof. I said, Lord, what does that mean? He said, well, what would it look like, Joshua, if you were part of a family that if they outlaw church in your country, you'd still be okay? I'm like, I don't know what that looks like. He said, look up. Look around. It's happening in other nations on the planet, and, there's, and, and, I, and I'm still moving, and the church is exploding. i never forget, listen to Apostle Damon Thompson, and he said one of his friends in Pakistan said they were having, he said they knew they were having at least 40,000 people a week come to Christ there. He said, but we believe it's more like 90,000, but we, can't, we don't know how to add that much. He said, guess what? You never see it on the news. So the church is very much alive and the church is very much growing in other parts on the planet. But look at what we do in America. We create celebrity Christians. You know, and we celebrate, man, you have a large church. What does that mean? What, what does that mean? Still, if two or three are gathered together in my name, you know what Jesus said? I'm still in the midst. We celebrate how many people are in the midst versus the one in our midst. Listen to this. I'll never forget in prayer the Holy Spirit told me. He said, Joshua, in your nation, he said, you call churches mega based on attendance. Listen to this. And he said, you mega in the presence of people, yet you minor in my presence and you're not bothered by it. I'm going to throw it. I'm going to throw it. Listen, hold that for me. We have so jacked stuff up. Like we have so jacked stuff up. Mega because of attendance, yet we minor in presence and awareness and we're not bothered by it. Listen to this. In the beginning, God had a family in Eden. The word Eden literally means paradise of pleasure. It was a family doing life with the God they served, walking with him every day, and that was the faith. Before, and thank God for buildings, y'all. I'm not not against buildings and gatherings. I'm a pastor, trust me. But before this came along, what did faith look like? 
I believe it was uh, one of Francis Chan's books. I'm going to slaughter the story as I tell it to you. But um, he tells a story about a man on an island that just woke up, you know, didn't know his name. Finds a treasure chest and it, you know, has a New Testament in it, reads it, didn't know anything about God or Jesus, spends time reading this New Testament, ends up meeting the Lord by way of heart encounter. And then like a year or so, somebody comes to this island and says, hey man, we've been watching you from a distance, see ya. How about you get on this boat with me? We're about to go back to my country and we're going to go to church. We're going to share the gospel. He says, now that guy that don't even know his own name, doesn't know anything about a church service, his only template for his faith has been the New Testament scriptures primarily. What is he thinking he's fixing to go to when he gets on that boat and goes back to that other country where that guy came from? What is he thinking he's fixing to encounter? And how different would it be from what he had read? Listen to this. (laughs) Dallas Willard wrote a book called The Great Omission. And in the book, The Great Omission, he says, he says this. This is the problem we're having in America. He says, we have a chasm right now between Christ, whose name we bear, watch this, and those who bear his name. He called it the great chasm. The chasm is between the Christ, whose name we bear, and us as Christians, Christians, who bear his name. He said the distance between this is what he calls the great chasm. And that's happening right now in our nation. It's a massive divide between Christians and those who bear his name. Are you okay with what you read about in the scriptures in comparison to how you do life with that God? Did you, are you okay with what you believe the scripture promises you in regards to your walk with Jesus versus what you're currently experiencing? Like, peace that passeth all understanding. Is that a Bible verse or is that stuff real? No, no, no. Like, is that real? What about this? What about this? I'm going to give you joy, unspeakable, and full of glory. Is that just like a good refrigerator verse or is that stuff real? So I, I, I look at myself all the time and I'm like, whoa, man, you promised this? Is that real? How was my faith real? And how is that happening in my family or in my community? What it can't be relegated to is a 1030 to a 1230 church service on a Sunday, which is what we've done in our nation, guys, for years. So how do we shape the identity of a family? It started in a garden, one, before they had a book. Before they had principles. They had presence. They had person. We, we got it. We got to get back to that. So it started with koinonia by way of encounter of the God that they serve. By the days of Moses, when Moses gets here, Moses is recorded and says this. God says this to him. I want you to talk about this in your homes with your kids. What? It was not the job of a priest to go to your house and educate you and your family on the things of God. 
I'm going to always be my kid's pastor. I just am. Moses, talk about this in your house. He said, talk about it when you lay down. He said, talk about it when you rise up. He said, talk about it when you're moving back and forth on the way. He said, let it be upon the doorpost of your home and let it be upon your gates. I'm like, what? So everywhere they went, they were talking about the things of God. They were instructing their children. My wife and I in 2018 or 2019, we had an opportunity to go to Israel and I was blown away. I was blown away at what they were doing with their children. Like I thought this was just on TV. No, I'm like, they live this way all the time. Jews are faithful to the last thing they believe they heard the Lord say, which was 3,000 years ago. They still serve faithfully to the best of their ability out of the law according to what they believe they heard God say 3,000 years ago. Like that passage I just read, when he said, bind it around or close to your heart and let it be as frontless to your eyes to this day, you will see thousands of Jews with phylacteries around their arm and on their forehead when you go there. If you travel a lot in airports, you see them in airports. They took it literally and they put that scripture in a box as close as they can to their eyelids or their frontless and they can't put it in their heart, so they put it right here by their heart and they walk around that way. They are faithful to the last thing they heard God say. Well, guess who also does their kids do it? Kids see dads doing it. They still go to as close as they can to the holiest plot of ground on the planet. The day the Dome of the Rock's there, but they go to where the Temple of Solomon used to be. We call it the Wailing Wall. Don't, don't, Americans, don't, don't go there and call it a Wailing Wall. You better call it the Western Wall. They go to the Western Wall and you see them rocking at the place where Solomon's Temple used to be, where the Ark of the Covenant used to be. But they even have kids with them. And they're taking these little pieces of paper that they write their prayers on and they're sticking it into those stones that have been there for now 3,000 years or more. And they're putting it as close to as close as they can to where the Ark of the Covenant used to be, hoping that the God of Israel is still there, hoping that he still answers prayer. But kids are watching them do it. And they, I'm like, yeah, they do this all the time. Their faith does not come for them primarily just in a quote-unquote church service or synagogue service. And so the identity of family for them comes primarily from what they do at home. And I want to tell you some things to my own embarrassment. I, I grew up in a Christian home. Some of you grew up in families. You, this happened for you really well. Others like me, it didn't happen the best. But there's room for improvement. My dad was a pastor. He never sat us down. Let me see that Bible, God love. We never sat down as a family at a table and actually opened this book up. But I, I knew he loved God, but we never sat down as a family and talked about this. It never got put in me that way. But I had a Sunday school teacher who was 237 years old. I mean, this lady was, <laughs> let me tell you something. I know I read you in the genealogy of Jesus somewhere up in there like, her name, was, her name was Modest. Miss Modest, that was her name. Look, you, when you hear the name, you think Ancient of Days. Like, she would talk to us about the Bible at, ch at church, but at home, it just didn't happen. And now I think, why? You know what I did do with my dad at home? We threw, we threw a football. We went fishing. 
other things we did, but, but, but this, my faith wasn't given to me. I want to say this. My father-in-law used to say this all the time. Christianity is always one generation away from extinction. In the words of Leonard Sweet, it's endangered. Because faith has to be passed on. And I want to tell you something. Church, a church service is a poor place to try to pass a baton. I'm I'm, going to see you once a week and I'm going to pass it to you. Now, what happens if weekly in our house behind closed doors, if we're passing something to our kids? I'm not saying you got to have a full-blown church service, but I am saying be intentional with your faith. I am saying be intentional with your faith. What would happen if we would pray for our kids more than when they just went to sleep or blessing a meal? Which if you want to know how fabric, how, how manufactured that is, ask your kid to bless it and watch how they bless it. They will reproduce what they see in us. Listen. Train up a child in the what? Way. You know what? That's the directional term. What direction are we giving our kids? What way are we setting them on? I want my kids to know who they are in Jesus. So I tell them all the time. It wasn't told me, but I tell them all the time. Even I tell you, we make declarations every single night. Oh, my God, they hate it. Sometimes they, because they, they know what I'm going to say, because we do it all the time. They'll finish it before I finish it just to be done. I'm like, I'm still going to say my part. Because I'm going to have that story if I live to be 80 or 90 years old, that my dad said these dumb declarations over me. That's going to be my memories. You're right. You are righteous. I know I'm righteous. You are a child of God. And they're like, I know I'm a child. Can I go to sleep? No. And they'll try to, sometimes they'll fall asleep and I'll pinch them. I'm like, no, wake up. You're going to hear this. You are, you are righteous. Okay. Now I'm just right, right, right. I notice that when my life gets busy, even with church stuff, that's when I become real lax about putting things in my kids. Now, y'all act like y'all Jesus' third cousin. I ain't getting not one amen on that. I got a yeah. Thank you for that yeah. Well, well, the Lord knows I've been busy. Therefore, the last six months, he knows. I'm going to tell you something. We cannot wait on our schedules to lighten up before we become intentional about really instilling these things in our kids. Because your schedule is never going to lighten up. When I, when I was an intern in my father in loves ministry, I wasn't dating anybody. I was not paying a mortgage. I was not paying a car payment. I wasn't even paying a phone bill. I didn't even buy my own groceries. I did wash my own clothes. And I would always say, man, I am so busy. I am so busy. I am so busy. I wasn't busy. And I'll never forget, my father-in-law told me one time, he said, Joshua, he said, you have, more, you have as much freedom now as you'll ever have the rest of your life. I'm like, no, it ain't. You need to come spend a day with me. And he said, you're not married. He said, you'll understand that statement soon. He was a prophet of the highest. I mean, he had eagle vision, Matthew. I was not paying a mortgage or a car payment or car insurance. Didn't have to buy no grocery. Once again, wasn't even paying my own phone bill. I knew nothing about life. And I said I was busy. And I didn't have any kids, and I didn't have to run them anywhere either. But then I was busy. Well, what do you do when life picks up? 
Well, God, when life gets a little bit more lax, then we're going to do something. No, I'm telling you what. Quit trying to fit God into your schedule and fit your schedule into God. Seriously. As for me and my church. (laughs) This is Joshua talking. What are you talking about, Joshua? He said, look, as for me and my house, my faith is going to hit back at my house. We will serve the Lord in my house. So Moses says, as you go along the way, when you rise up, when you lay down, talk about these things with your kids. Come on, man. Listen, once again, this is so simple. It takes church to complicate it. I was having a conversation with Honor the other day because, I I mean, I have real conversations with my kids about things, about faith, because I want to see how's it sticking. Is it getting in there? And does he see this as a performance or not? I'm going to tell you, if you ask kids, they don't know how to fake it yet. I was talking to Honor about worship just this morning. I said, I want you to worship me today, Bubba. He said, I worship every Sunday. I, I said, yeah, you, you be up there. I appreciate that. <laughs> he said, no, I worship, every, I worship every Sunday. I said, uh, do we worship every day? He says, no. I said, oh, we don't? Now I have an opportunity to start shaping him here, see. And I said, um, when I'm outside playing with you, is that not worship? No. Okay, now I have a good opportunity. Now I can shape him to see worship is more than just what we do in a service. So at nine, he's already thinking that worship is what we do in a service. Can I tell you something? I've had countless conversations with him about this. Does it stick the first time you do it? Remember, train in the Hebrew is gym not. What do you do? It's where we get our English word gym. What do you do in a gym? You do it over and over and over and over till they get it. So at nine, if I left him alone and let him go his own way, he would not end up at the right place, not off what he knows now. So again, I have another opportunity to say, honor, everything we do, son, really is worship. Everything we do, I do in the presence of the Lord with you. I don't care if I'm watching Netflix with you, playing Fortnite with you, kicking a soccer ball with you, playing at the park, at the school with you. I don't do nothing where Emmanuel is not God with us. It's all up to him because in him we live, honor. In him we move, and in him we have our being. So he says to me, okay, Dad, so everything we do can be worship. I said, son, everything we do can be worship and is worship, but do you see it that way? Because what denotes worship? I'm saying we shape our identities really by what we do in our homes. I love what we do here, but the thing that has the most weight in a kid's life will always be what they do in your house. So dang right, I'm not going to ever cuss him out. When me and his mom have passionate conversations, you're right. He will see me publicly apologize. So much so that even now, when my kids, some of the worst pains I've ever caused myself is when I lose my attitude on my kids. You ever did that? You feel like a big man of God when you do that, don't you? But I love going to him, Pastor Dan. And I love saying, you know what, I want to apologize to you. And I say, because that's not, that wasn't Papa's heart. And I love it, Sailor, but she don't give me no slack. Gosh, I'm out of them girls. I was trying to apologize one day. She didn't let me. She said, I know that wasn't Papa's heart, was it? You didn't do it right. And I was like, 
Like I'm telling you, like pork. And you just have to eat it. <laughs> I'm trying to train them up in the way they should go. A tableless faith is an unstable faith. How much of your faith has made it back home? To the degree that if they outlawed church services tomorrow, what would the condition of Christianity be in the lives of those that bear our last names? These are the kind of questions I ask myself. Chris, do you have that stuff in here that I told you about? Would you get those and maybe get a couple of men help you pass those out all over the room? I don't think I'm going to read these other scriptures. I can tell you this. I never want my legacy to be in a building or even a job I created for people. I think my greatest legacy will always be in my family. I begin asking myself some really, really hard questions about my faith and how I'm passing my faith along and my kids got to have their own encounters with Jesus, but the best thing I can do is set them off in the right direction. Matthew 6, Jesus teaches us that even hypocrites pray. He said, don't pray like the hypocrites. Even hypocrites give. Don't give like the hypocrites. He says, "You, but when you do it, he says, enter into your secret closet and shut the door behind you so that the God who sees in secret can bring public reward to your life. Taylor, would you come back just to the keys for me? Maybe just you and Mallory up, up here would be enough for me today. I remember when I got born again in 2001, my last year of high school, I was chasing this young girl. Um, and I went to our church, and I got born again there. And nobody taught me this. I don't, other than, I, I didn't, I, I wouldn't even have known it was the Lord, but I'm sure it was. But those are the days I used to watch TBN. Anybody know what TBN is? You know about some gold chair. They've updated a little bit now, but I'm talking about the gold chair TBN days. I was so hungry for God, I used to watch TBN and get ministered to. I mean, I was hungry, boy, like but in those days, Pastor Dan, in my actual closet, I had a blanket spread out beneath my shirts that were hanging there. And that was my secret closet. I didn't know Greek and Hebrew or I didn't understand context. And I would read that and I thought, I ain't got no secret closet. And I went and I made a secret closet. <laughs> and that's where I would pray. My mom and dad hadn't been too long got a divorce. And he left his King James Bible at home and that became my Bible. Thompson chain reference, King James Bible. I put a little light in that closet, and at home, I would go in that closet, Sawyer, and man, I would just read the Bible. And I would try to pray, and a lot of times, you know what I would do in there? Fall asleep. <laughs> I fell asleep, though, in the place of prayer. Because even the sparrow has found a place at your altar where she may lay her young. Boy, that became my altar. From 2001 until today, I've tried to intentionalize my faith, like doing stuff at home, even with my family, even with my kids. 
Can I be really honest with you? It's easier for me to do it with my kids than it even is for my wife. You know why? Because we're adults. And I have my own relationship with Jesus, and so does she, right? And we were both raised in the homes where our dads were pastors. I want to make a big statement. Listen to me. Listen, listen to what I'm fixing to tell you. I know men that will get naked around their spouse but won't pray with them. <laughs> and I feel in the bottom of my belly today. Grace for devotion again happening in families. I'm just telling you something, man. I'm telling you something. I feel grace for family devotion again. I feel grace for communion again in families. The early church, the sacraments kept them. They would take communion together. They took the words of Jesus seriously where he says, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And one of the things that kept the, the ecclesia, the early church together is they would do communion, Tiffany, on a fairly regular basis together. I don't think it's wrong if you do communion three times a week or seven times a week. You do it. I give young married couples in our church, I give them communion sets. I buy them from Israel, little plates and little cups. I got one in my office. Every time I come to the office in the week, I always do communion, just me and the Lord. But I do it at home with my kids. They almost never wait to eat the stuff. I mean, it just always, but anyway, it's, it's my stories. But they're understanding why we do this now. And I want to challenge every man, if you're married and here with your family, start doing communion. I'm going to give you a simple way to do this today. I don't want to tell you how to do it. I just want to give you a little bit of a template to do with your family. Bring your kids around if you've never done it. I'm going to tell you something. The longer you wait in your marriage to do this, the harder it becomes because patterns get set in concrete. But God in grace comes and he allows us to let some reformation happen in our marriages. I believe the revival we're waiting for in this country is not a great revival in the church. I believe it's one in homes. A guy asked me two weeks ago, he said, what is a victory to you? I said, a victory to me is not a field building. I've had that. It doesn't feel that good. It's gone as soon as the service is over. It's not preaching in front of a thousand people. I do that now fairly regular. It's gone as soon as the service. You know what a victory to me is? A victory to me is Tiffany and Stephen says, we're doing devotions together as a family. I'm like, what? You do that, man. You won. You just made your faith be generational when you do that. And your kids will say, we didn't just do this at church. We did this at home. I watch my dad cry at home. You understand the power of your tears outside of a church service? Do you understand the power of that? When a Demetrius can say, my dad prayed with my mom. Yeah, we hit home runs together. We did that too, but I'm telling you, you better be intentional with your faith. This is, listen, before you heard this, I heard this a thousand times in my own heart. So I like to bring my family together. It helps to do it at a table. And I remind them that for three and a half years, Jesus the Christ spent three and a half years with 12 rusty, dusty disciples. None of them were preachers, by the way. They were businessmen, pr primarily tax collectors. They, they didn't, he didn't go to the Galilean seminary and pick the greatest preacher. After three and a half years with them, on the night of Passover, he says to them, hey, 
I'm leaving. They get, a, they get a little bothered by that statement. They were used to breaking bread and stuff on the Passover, but he says this to them. He said, I know the covenant that God gave Moses, but I'm fixing to give you a new one. And it's starting tonight. And he took a piece of bread and he passed it around that room to those 12 men. And yet, I'm telling you, it would have been quiet as the rabboni, the real rabbi was talking. And he said, this bread that I'm giving you, that I'm breaking in front of you, he said, this is my body that's going to be broken for you. They didn't get it yet. But he knew the cross was coming. He knew the, the whips from Rome was coming. He knew the persecution was coming. They didn't get it yet. And I always describe that to my kids a little bit. And I always put the bread in their hand. I say, why don't you break it between your fingers? And as they do that, I say, the same way you just broke that bread, that's how the body of Christ was broken for us. Because I want my kids to get it. If we don't learn to communicate our faith to such a degree that a five-year-old can get it, it's not transferable. Only in America do we need good sermons. And I talk about the broken body of Jesus and why he did it. And oftentimes I cry with him for a moment. And I ask him. I said, I want you to put this in your mouth. We're going to eat the body of Jesus together. And as you crush it with your teeth, see him being crushed. Feel it in your heart. Let the weight of what he did hit your heart. And understand we are doing something that for the last 2,022 years has kept the church going. Would you partake of that with me right now? Then I tell my kids and my wife, this is the blood of Jesus to us that he made a new covenant with. And as kids and as spouse, I'll grab their hand and I'll say, Jesus, thank you for your blood that was shed for us. It's our victory. Man, it's my peace. It's my forgiveness. And I talk about Jesus shedding his blood, what it means to me as a man, as a Native American Indian. You can put your own spin on that. And I say, I'll never forget the day when Jesus found me. Because he wasn't lost. I didn't find him. He found me. And I received his life and it did something for me. Sometimes I ask my wife to share. And I say, when you drink this blood, understand you are remembering what Jesus did. And we do it together. Would you do that with me right now? Let's partake of his blood together. And you know what? Stand to your feet with me. Every time we do that, you know what we've done? We've made our faith generational. You know what Jesus told me? He said, Joshua, from the Holy Spirit, he said, Joshua, what you do with your kids now, this is my hope and I'm done. He said, what you do with your kids now, he said, I'm going to multiply it when they do it with their kids. Did you hear what I just told you? He said, what you do with your kids now, I'm going to multiply it. And their kids' lives. So my grandkids are going to reap from what I'm doing with my kids now. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So I want to say this. I speak over you grace for devotions as a family again. I speak over you grace to have encounters in your home again. (laughs) I speak over you that your greatest pulpit will always be your table or your den in your dining room. I speak over you right now, grace to pray with your spouse if you've never done that before. I speak over you right now, grace to be the amazing dad and and mom that you know God has meant you to be.
I speak over you right now that you will open the scriptures in your home and you will encounter the Christ together as a family. I give you permission right now to have hot tears again at your dining room table. I speak over you right now the ability to pray and to linger for the presence of God in the presence of God in your home again right now. I speak over you right now that your home will once again be known as your main sanctuary. I speak over you right now that your home will once again be known as your main sanctuary. I want to give you permission to be unique and to be different. It don't have to be the way I do it. But let the Lord lead you in what it looks like in your household. You might do this under a blanket, under a tree, eating a PB&J with your family. But do it with your kids. Be unique. Let the Spirit of God blow through your household again. I don't care if you go and get, you know what I mean, and you get some paint and you paint and you say, you know, we're going to paint in the presence of God. Be unique in your household. But give God permission. Give Him the opening. Give Him an open door to move in your marriage and to move in the life of your kids. I'm telling you, the enemy is trying to rob our generation with busyness and with screens and with activity, but let God invade in the middle of that chaos and let him see that we made room for the Lord in our household. And because we let the seed of the gospel be planted, the forest of his goodness will be the legacy of our generation. I give you grace to be that now in the name of Jesus. I give you grace to be that now in the name of Jesus. I give you grace to be that in the name of Jesus. Jesus. We talked about this last Wednesday night as men. And I'm telling you, Kalen Smith came up to me that night. We left at, I don't know, 9 o'clock or so from here. He told me he went home that night. He said, you know, we did devotions as a family that night. But why? Because it meant so much to him. He said, I've never done that. So what does revival look like to me? I maybe give a, a pitiful answer to that, but I can tell you one thing. It looks like families, again, encountering the Lord at home. That's what I believe. And in so doing, the identity of a generation gets shaped. Father, thank you for your kindness to us, for speaking to us as a family. I am excited and delighted in what you're doing. And I pray this week all over the city, that homes again make room for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you guys. God bless you. Thank you for taking a moment to listen in to what Jesus is doing right here at Way Family Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. If you want to be a part of helping us to continue to share the gospel and get it out to as many people as we can, you can do that via Cash App at dollar sign Way Family Church, or you can visit our website at wayfamilychurch.com and click on the giving tab. For more information about Way Family Church, you can connect with us on all social media platforms or simply go to wayfamilychurch.com. Be blessed.